Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. So we got to hear about the signs that are present in the Gospel of John, and and this week, we're actually going to hear from a passage that is very, very hard and has done, honestly, great damage in our world. Um, and so we're going to wrestle with that today. So hear now uh, the, this word from chapter 8, uh, starting with verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They responded, we are Abraham's children. We've never been anyone's slaves. How can you say that we will be set free? Jesus answered, I assure you that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave isn't a permanent member of the household, but a son is. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you really will be free. I know that you are Abraham's children, yet you want to kill me because you don't welcome my teaching." I'm telling you what I've seen when I'm with the Father, but you are doing what you've heard from your father. They replied, our father is Abraham. Jesus responded, if you were Abraham's children, you would do Abraham's works. Instead, you want to kill me, though I am the one who has spoken the truth I heard from God. Abraham didn't do this. You are doing your father's works. They said, our ancestry isn't in question. The only father we have is God. Jesus replied, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God. Here I am. I haven't come on my own. God sent me. Why don't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't really hear my words. Your father is the devil. You are his children, and you want to do what your father wants. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has never stood for the truth, because there's no truth in him. Whenever that liar speaks, he speaks according to his own nature because he's a liar and the father of liars. Because I speak the truth, you don't believe me. Who among you can show I'm guilty of sin? Since I speak the truth, why don't you believe me? God's children listen to God's words. You don't listen to me because you aren't God's children. Um, We're not going to say what we usually say there um, because we have some, some thinking to do. So instead, let's pray. Lord, we call upon your Holy Spirit to be present and to illuminate for us the truth that will set us free. Please open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So, I was on vacation. I was in the area around Hot Springs, and I was in Hot Springs one of those days, and I happened to notice a CVS across the street from a Walgreens. Surprised? No, no, it's not surprising. In, you can go to Rogers and find a CVS across the street from a Walgreens. You can go to my hometown of Benton and find a CVS across the street from a Walgreens. You can go to Plano, Texas, where I was living when I went to school, and find a lot of CVSs across the street from Walgreens. I have even been on vacation in Puerto Rico and seen a CVS across the street from Walgreens. Um, why is that the case? 
Well, I had a story to tell you, but I thought I better check that story out. And as I checked that story out, this is what I actually learned. It is due to two business principles. One is called Hostelings Law. And Hostelings Law is that when you get frustrated with one business or service, you will look for a complementary replacement service or business and how handy if it's right across the street. So if you get mad at Walgreens, it's really nice if there's a CVS right across the street. And if you get mad at CVS, it's nice that there's a Walgreens right across the street, right? That's Hostelings Law. And then there's another one called Nash Equilibrium, which is the no change strategy. It has become so accepted that a CVS will be across the street from Walgreens that both of those have chosen not to change that because it works to their advantage. It creates a habit. People look for CVS and Walgreens together, so it also cuts down on the amount of marketing that they have to do because if CVS advertises, then Walgreens knows they're going to pick up some business from that and vice versa. So that's the reason. There's a CVS across the street from a Walgreens almost all the time. But that's not the story I thought was behind it. Perhaps you have heard this other story that I thought was behind it, which is that there was a divorce in the Walgreens family, and it was a nasty divorce, right? And, and the person that got divorced got mad and started CVS and made it their mission to be across the street from every one of the Walgreens. It's out of vindictiveness that it happened. That's not true. <laughs> there are shades of truth in that story, shades of truth. In the 1940s, um, a Mr. Dart divorced from a Miss Walgreen, and Mr. Dart started Rexall Drug. Um, but somehow that story and the reality of CVS and Walgreens being across the street from each other got tangled up together. Because it's easy for people to take a piece of truth and combine it with another piece of truth to tell a different story, right? And it's fun to do that. It's a good, salacious story. And in, in particular, this is a good, salacious family fight story. And we love those, don't we? Well, that's what we have here, friends, in this passage that I just read to you from the Gospel of John. We have a family fight going on. See, Jesus is facing more and more opposition, and in fact, that is including even some death threats. And we saw this in the Synoptic Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We saw this, um, but it was narrated in a slightly different way. We were, we were told that Jesus was finding opposition with the Sanhedrin, and he was going up against the Sadducees, and he was going up against the Pharisees. That's what we're told. In the Gospel of John, we get a switch and more often, we are told that he is up against the Jews or the Jewish opposition. Now, why the change in the wording? Well, it's important to know that the Gospel of John was probably the latest, the last of the Gospels to be written. And it was probably written as late as in the 90s um, in the first century. And that's significant for two reasons. First, in 70, the temple fell. Um, in, a, in a revolution, a revolt against Rome, the temple came down. And so that happened in 70. And the significance of that is that 
The Sanhedrin and the Sadducees were the authorities of the temple and centered everything around the temple, whereas the Pharisees centered much more around the synagogue movement. When the temple falls, there go the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees, and all that's left are the Pharisees. And we even have some remnants of that, some hints of that reality in the Gospel of John, because the Pharisees are mentioned in the Gospel of John 21 times. The Sanhedrin and the Sadducees, zero times. Because they're of no concern at that point. It's also significant for us to know that the Gospel of John was written so much later because of this wording, changing things to being the opposition, being the Jews. Because there's this new distinction arising between Jews and Christians. Before that, it was Jews who didn't follow Jesus and Jews who did follow Jesus. They were all Jews, right? Until the Jewish Synod of Jamnia, which takes place in the mid-80s of the first century, in which the Nazarenes were excommunicated from Judaism due to the expansion of monotheism, saying Jesus is the Son of God, and breaking the food laws and the requirement for circumcision. So they've been kicked out of the synagogue. And the Gospel of John is written in the midst of this hurt, in the midst of this distinction, in the midst of this decision. And so when you read the Gospel of John and you go to the Greek, the word that's used instead of Sanhedrin or Sadducees or even often Pharisees is Yudaoi. And we've struggled with how to translate that, but often it is translated as the Jews. Now, there are a couple of problems with that. First of all, Jesus would have never said the Jews. <laughs> he would have never said the Jews did this because Jesus was Jewish, as were his followers. We're all Jewish. He would not have he would not have put it in those terms. He wouldn't have said, the Jews did this, the Jews did this. He would have said, I've got a problem with the Sanhedrin. I've got a problem with these people. He wouldn't have narrated it in those ethnic terms, right? So it's not historically accurate. But it is textually accurate. That is what it says in Greek. And I looked I scanned through several different translations to see how it's translated. If, you, if I read a little bit further, you would see that Jesus, in the CEB, which is the translation I read from, they say the Jewish opposition. But in the King James Version, the NIV, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Version, the New Jerusalem Bible, and the NRSV, it is translated the Jews. The Jews did this. And here is the problem with sticking to our textual accuracy. It has resulted in anti-Semitism. This passage and others like it, including the crucifixion, have been used to justify countless atrocities, including the Crusades, the Holocaust, our rise in white supremacy that we deal with still today. And if you delude yourself and think that this is not still a problem, let me thank Kanye West for giving me a sermon illustration this week. 
because he tweeted an anti-Semitic text this week. This week. And I, we had hints of this anti-Semitism because a few years ago he released a Christian album and there's a, there's a great song in it called Selah, but it raised my radar because he quotes John 8, 3, 3 as justification for his greatness. And I'm like, oh, buddy. John 8, John 8. This translation, this characterization is technically true, but it does not capture the whole story. It does not tell us all that was going on. And so we have to dig deeper or we get into very dangerous territory. So how do we find the truth in the midst of these half-truths, in the midst of these lies? The real challenge comes to us when people perpetuate lies and hate and oppression and death and use the gospel to do it. And so, if we're going to counter that and still be people of the book, then we have to study. We have to know the story behind the story. It is important for us to realize the family fight that was going on while this book was being written so that we can see. I don't know if y'all have ever been in a family fight before, but you don't speak very nicely. <laughs> you don't speak very nicely about the people you're in the family fight with. Now, if somebody else is talking about your family, it's another thing, right? But within the family, I mean, we're dealing with that right now in our denomination. We're not speaking very well of each other within the family, right? We're gonna have to Repent for some of that. So we need to study. We need to get behind the scenes. We need to see that these people were hurt by the fact that the very faith that had raised them, that had raised up Jesus, was casting them out, and it hurt. And they were speaking out of hurt. So then, if we are to recover the truth, then we need an overarching ethic. We need an ethic of light to counter the darkness. So much of the Gospel of John speaks about being the people of the light. And I think that is a, a true and good challenge for us. And what we do in order to have that overarching ethic is we look at the very commandments that Jesus lifts up. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he says in the in the synoptics. In the Gospel of John, he says, the love one another. Love is the overarching ethic. Love is what we lean on. And the other overarching ethic is resurrection. Anytime there is a narrative of death, anytime there is a choice of death, God will lead us to light, but it will not lead just to light for me but for all. So we look at this ethic of what is life-giving for all of us. What allows us to love more fully and what brings us, us, all of us, to life. It's one of the wonderful things about serving this church is that you have claimed that ethic to be your goal. And, and I want to lift that up. I want to read from the welcoming statement that you passed a couple of years ago, and that we 
that we are leaning into and and we don't do it perfectly all the time but we're trying right we're trying and this is what it says FUMC Bentonville welcomes all welcomes all because we believe the communion table is God's table we invite everyone into our church family we welcome and celebrate every race gender gender identity sexual orientation marital status age physical and mental ability national origin economic station and political ideology we come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. We seek to be the people of all, not the people of us and them. The people of all. And we need to recognize that it is the Jewish faith that we stand on. That brings us to that ethic. Jesus was nurtured in that faith. Jesus is laying claim to that is the heart of all of the commandments, to love God and love neighbor. That, that heart, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that's the Shema. That is the centering ethic of Judaism. And I will tell you today, I happen to know, that a pastor in Rogers is preaching on that word today. Because we still stand on that word today. We are shaped by it. We are shaped by that faith. We are shaped by the resurrection that happened in the Garden of Eden. And that keeps happening still yet today. So my friends, I invite you to resist the family fight. Resist the demonization. Resist the us versus them and lay claim to the light in the midst of the darkness. Lay claim to the love in the midst of the hate and lay claim, lay claim to the life, the life beyond death. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.